Go ahead and take out your Bibles and your notes. Elementary school kids, y'all can head out. Go have fun. Oh, look at all of them. Look at all these munchkins. Goodness. Yes, I'm talking about you. You got a cutie little face. <laughs> so a little munchkin, she's looking at me like, talk about me. You're a big girl. <laughs> uh, okay, open up to Genesis chapter 2. I think this is the first week we've not opened in Genesis 1. So we're moving right along. Moving right along. Genesis 2. We've got baptisms coming up here in next week, next Wednesday. If you uh, are a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, don't miss out on March 10th. Make sure you sign up to be baptized. You can do it at uh, antiochindy.com slash info. So if there's anybody in your life group, make sure you're talking about it in the life group and your friends. Um, this isn't like an optional thing. This is something that Jesus commanded us to do. And just like communion is remembering his body and his blood, um, and it's just bread, it's just a cup, but there's also something spiritually powerful about it. The Bible is clear with us that when we go into the waters of baptism, it's just water, but it, but it is the grave where we are buried with Jesus in baptism. And then we come out out and we live his new life. Romans 6 says, just as he raised from the dead, I want that kind of life. I want the just as Jesus kind of life. You know what I'm saying? So if you haven't been baptized, make sure you are signing up to do that March 10th. All right, you got your notes out? Awesome. Um, We are going to be in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read that here in just a second. How many of you know that uh, first impressions are kind of a big deal? You've, you've thought about making good first impression more than a few times in your life. I know you have. Oftentimes, uh, our first impression of someone impacts what we see in them or think of them for quite some time. Am I right? You can have a first, if somebody leaves a good first impression, they can be a total punk, but they got you hook, line, and sinker for at least a little while. You can see past a lot when you have a good first impression. And the opposite is true as well. You can have a bad first impression of somebody. They might be amazing, but it takes some time for you to get over that, doesn't it? And for you to see past what you think you saw at first. This whole first impression thing is true for us in our relationships with people. And I would suggest to us that it's true in our relationship with God as well. Our first impression of him. What is he like? I believe it's a, it, it matters what our first impression of God is. And it defines in a lot of ways what we see in him. How we interact with him or don't for, for quite some time. And so as as much as we've covered in biblical formation, uh, we are all the way into Genesis chapter 2. And over these last handful of weeks, we have been introduced to God. We've been introduced to creation. We've been introduced to humanity and God's intended ideal for his creation, the, the things he intended to be unified in his creation. And um, now in Genesis 2 and 3, what we're going to read about this morning, we get introduced to everybody's favorite thing to talk about in church, sin. Thank you, youth in the front row. So our title for part three of the humanity section of biblical formation is simply that, sin. Just because I thought about trying to get something creative to not make you not wish you were here, but let's just go for it. I figured nothing better to talk about on a rainy day when we all wish we were taking a nap. Nothing better than sin. Part three of our humanity section. So why don't you go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. We're going to be in Genesis 2. We're going to read a couple verses and then... That's right, people. We're going to Genesis 3. We are covering ground. Genesis 2, verse 15. You'll remember these from last week. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, I know we're talking about sin. I know. I get it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? I've read too many verses. So we're going to now go to the other verses I was going to read. (laughs) Verse 20. (laughs) The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Have you ever thought that you heard someone say one thing, but they actually said something different? Like I remember in youth, our our youth girls had a lock-in here last night, so a little tired. But I remember, in, I remember in youth group one time, uh, I thought that the, like the counselor people, I thought that they said, you can jump off the bridge into the lake. Turns out they said, you cannot jump off the bridge into the lake and almost got sent home. But I didn't, so here we are. There's been plenty of times in my life where Heather has sent me to the store, the grocery store for something. I thought she said something. I come back with exactly what I thought she said. But it turns out she said something very different, and I didn't at all get what she was asking me to do. Can I get an amen from a man in the room who has ever had that happen? There's been many moments in my life where I thought I heard one thing. And based on what I thought I heard, I drew some conclusions. I made some decisions. I took some actions based on what I thought I heard. I followed through on what I thought was said, only to come, out, only to, come to find out that I had kind of had it wrong the whole time. It's a terrible feeling. You know, you thought you did so good. Yes for milk. Almond milk. Got it. I always thought that what happened here in the verses that we read this morning was 
that we, we cover God and creation and humanity and all this stuff. We got these three unions that God intended. And what I thought happened was that Adam and Eve eat what they're not supposed to eat and they sin. And then the rest of the story is that God gets furious at them. He curses them. He kicks them out of the garden. And the rest of the Bible and human history is just like God trying to hold back his anger and his wrath, like just enough so he doesn't kill all of us so that hopefully we can get to heaven where he had just enough mercy to send his son Jesus so now we can be good again. I thought that that's how the story went. And we we may have some perceptions about God that we have based on how we thought the story goes. I wonder if you thought the story goes something like I just said, and you're wondering, I thought that was how the story goes. But I want to look at this this morning and kind of reopen that box in our lives for our first impressions and, and see if some of the perceptions and expectations that we have might get adjusted a little bit by looking with fresh eyes and listening with fresh ears to hear what does the story actually say? What does the story actually say? What's actually been true the whole time? So we're going to talk about sin. Let's start with a basic truth about sin. How many of you know that sin separates you from God? By a show of hands. How many of you know sin separates you from God? Not a trick question. You can do it. Yep. Good job. That is true. That is true, and that is a very important thing for us to know. That is a very important truth that we have to know. But it's not just important to know that sin separates you from God. It's important to know why sin separates you from God. See, I always had this understanding, based on how I thought the story went, that sin separates me from God because God can't stand to be around sin And I have sin, and I'm a sinner, so therefore he can't stand being around me. Because I thought that what happened was that Adam and Eve sinned, and God gets furiously angry and just tosses them out of the garden because they ruined everything. But what what actually happened? Let's read verse 8 together. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? I think it's a pertinent question to ask in this moment. Who ran from who? Who ran from who? God ran to Adam. Adam ran from God. How many times have you thought God was distant, but maybe the reality was you were hiding the whole time? See, sin doesn't separate you from God because it makes him hate you. It separates you from God because it makes you hate you. And that makes you assume that God hates you too. So you run and you hide from God because you thought he hated you. And then the whole time you're hiding, you wonder where he is. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Usually in the Bible, a little Bible study tip. When God asks a question, he's not really looking for an answer. God wasn't asking Adam where Adam was for God's sake. 
God was asking Adam where Adam was for Adam's sake. Where are you? Adam, where, where are you? Where are you? We've got, we've got so much to do together. Where, what are you doing behind all these trees? Makes me think about how many times in my life God called out to me when I was hiding. Maybe I didn't understand that it was him at the time, but I look back and I, just, I, I hear his voice calling me so many times when I was hiding out among the trees. Try, I, I remember trying, he's trying to get me to look around and realize, yeah, you know, what I'm doing is not really working out right now. How many times God was calling to me? How many close calls could have gone a very different way? How many interruptions to the trouble that I was getting into? How many times I knew I didn't even want to be doing the thing that I was doing even though I was doing it? Andrew, where are you? Look around. Why are you hiding from me and all these trees? I'm here to walk with you. Where are you? Where are you? God wasn't asking where Adam was because God didn't know where Adam was. He wanted Adam to look around and realize that he was not where he was supposed to be. Adam, where are you? Look around for a second, buddy. You are, you are not where you're supposed to be. God comes in. Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Adam needed to see that Adam wasn't where Adam was supposed to be. But God also, I believe, asked Adam where he was because he needed Adam to see that God wasn't where he was supposed to be either. Because he's not supposed to be around a sinner. But apparently, God didn't get the same memo that sin gave Adam and you and me about God not being able to be around sinners. Because the first thing that God does when Adam and Eve sin, what does it say right here? The first thing Adam and Eve does is walk straight through their front door. I'm here, right in your house. Coming in right through your front door. He was in the garden after Adam eats the fruit. He's in the desert after Moses kills the Egyptian. He shows up to David after he cheats on his wife and kills his best friend. He sits at the well with the Samaritan woman with five, with five past husbands. And the man she's with right now isn't even married to her. He hangs on the cross next to a thief. He makes Peter breakfast on the shore after he denies him. He's talking to you right now on a rainy day in Indianapolis, Indiana, shouting to you in church. Where is God? Where are you? Where are you? You might not be where you're supposed to be. And the crazy thing about God is he's usually not either. Where's God? Where's God in all of this? Where, where, where are you? Is he distant or, or are you hiding? So we need to change the way that we think about God hating sin. Not because... It's not true, not because God doesn't hate sin. He absolutely hates sin. It's absolutely true that God hates sin. But we need to change the way we think about it because God doesn't hate sin because he's mad and he hates you. God hates sin because he's good and he loves you. God doesn't hate sin because he's mad and he hates you. God hates sin because he's good and he loves you. I'm going to give you three reasons why God hates sin. Isn't that what you were looking for at church this morning? You woke up this morning thinking, I just wish I hear three reasons why God hates sin. 
Three reasons this morning why God hates sin. Number one, God hates sin because it kills you. God hates sin because it kills you. Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. I know God's mean for hating sin and all that stuff, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm kind of glad that God hates things that kill me. Appreciate that. I'd put that in the win column as far as being in relationship with him goes. Somehow sin has gotten this awesome reputation. This awesome reputation like it's the greatest thing in the world and God is just like some old school grouch who hates parties and doesn't want Christians to have any fun. On your own time, we're going to put some verses up on the screen. I want you to go and read these verses sometime this week on your own time. James 1, 13 through 15. Genesis 4, verse 7. 1 Peter 5, 8. And John 10, 10. We'll leave that up there for a second. I want you to go read those verses. And what I, what I, what I think you're going to find is that sin is not awesome. Sin is not awesome. And the devil is not trying to throw you a great party that God won't let you go to because he's against all things fun. The truth is that no matter how strong your self-will is, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter how badly you want to be a good Christian, no matter how hard you try, no matter how strong your self-will is, as long as you are expecting that sin is going to give you a better life than God does, you will not come to Jesus. And when sin doesn't deliver the great life that it promises you, and it has kept you longer than you wanted to stay, it's taken you farther than you wanted to go, it's made you pay way more than you wanted to pay, just remember in that moment, it's not because God hates you, it's because the devil does. And God hates it, because it's killing you. Number two, God hates sin, Because it makes you ashamed of things he isn't concerned about. Genesis 2.25. And then we'll read Genesis 3.7-10. through Genesis 2.25. Where am I here? Ah. (laughs) Took me a while to find that. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. We'll read verse 11 as well. He said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? See, God comes into the garden right after Adam and Eve sin, and he calls, Adam, where are you? Adam says, I'm, I'm hiding over here in the trees because um, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm naked. I don't have any clothes on. As if this was news to God. 
And God's response is not like, whoa, wait, what? That is despicable and disgusting. You are abhorrent. I can't even look at you. I would not have come in this garden if I knew the whole time you were naked. Adam, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you embarrass me. You infuriate me. I don't even like you anymore. Look at you. Oh, you're so naked. No, no, no. That's, that's not what happened. Sometimes we think that's what happened. But what actually happened? What actually happened is that God's response is, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? That's a good question for you to write down for yourself. Who told you that? There's some things we think about God. We need to ask ourselves, before I run with that, who told me that? Before I run with that thing I think about myself and have bought into, who told me that? Who, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? In other words, duh, you're naked. That's how I made you. Who told you that was a problem? Who told you that thing about you was a problem? Who told you that thing about how I made you was a problem? Who told you that? Who told you that the weakness you now feel that, but you've always had, who told you it was a problem? Who told you that weakness was a problem? Who, who told you that being vulnerable before me was supposed to be a problem? Who told you that I should scare you? Who told you? That you have something to be ashamed of. Who told you that you have something to be ashamed of that I've known about you this whole time? This isn't news to me, Adam. Who? I know. I know. Who told you? Can I tell you something about anything you ever feel the need to hide? God already knows about it. God already knows about it. And listen to this. He's not concerned about it. He was not concerned with Adam and Eve's nakedness. They were ashamed of it, but that didn't mean God was concerned about it. Just because you feel the need to hide something doesn't mean that God is highly concerned about it. And listen to me here. It doesn't, I'm not trying to say that it's not, it's not concerning, that God isn't concerned about your sin in the sense that he doesn't care. I mean that he is not concerned in the sense that he can handle it. Genesis 3, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Adam and Eve ran and sewed fig trees together and hid behind the trees. And when God shows up, he makes for Adam and his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. I think you should underline that in your Bible. And clothed them. He clothed them. I thought he hated them. He clothed them. I thought he couldn't stand to look at what they were so ashamed of. No, he clothed them. I thought he showed up and rubbed it in their face to make sure they felt super ashamed about this terrible thing that they had now done and how awful and ugly now they were. No, he clothed them. The truth is that Adam and Eve had a way bigger problem than they thought they had. They thought they could just run behind some trees and sow some fig leaves and take care of this. 
But our sin is a much bigger problem than we think it is, church. Fig leaves aren't going to fix anything. Your fig leaves aren't going to fix anything. The things that you run to and hide behind and try to piece together to cover yourself and make it look like you don't have that thing that you have, make it look like you can hide that thing that you're trying to hide, that thing that you're trying to hide that you know means you don't measure up, but you're trying to cover it up to make everybody think you can measure up. All of those fig leaves, they're not working and you know it. They're not working and you know it. The the bigger paycheck, the bigger smile, the bigger dose, the smaller waist, the next episode, the next friend, the next partner, the next this, the next that, the next vacation, maybe a better hobby, maybe a little more of this and a little bit less of that and a little more grind and a little more hustle and a little more discipline and a little more love and a little more pleasure, a little more. All these big leaves, it's not working. It's not working. No matter how hard you try to sew it all together, It may cover it up, but it's not taking care of it. Whatever you're reaching for to sew together, to cover yourself, it's not working. Why is it not working? It's not working because, listen, sin doesn't strip you. Sin kills you. They thought sin just made them naked. No, 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 no. Sin didn't make them vulnerable. Sin kills them. Sin doesn't strip you, sin kills you. See, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God that he clothes you with is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see that gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord all the way back in the beginning, Genesis 3, 21. When God comes as they hide themselves among the trees with the fig leaves, trying to cover and hide and doing a terrible job trying to take care of a problem they can't fix that's way bigger than they have any idea. And instead of just rubbing their face in it, what does God do? He shows up before any law, before any of this stuff. What does he do? He makes the first blood sacrifice himself. He sacrifices an animal and covers them. With the skin. (laughs) He pays the penalty for sin himself from the beginning. And he clothes them with his grace. This is such a simple truth, but we can get it so backwards. I want you to write this down. Sin leads to death. God leads to life. Sin leads to death. God leads to life. Number three, why does God hate sin? God hates sin because it distracts you from Him. Back to Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat... For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the tree of the knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. All right, there is like a whole lot of freedom in what I'm about to say right now. And I, I, I've been chewing on it again all week. And I'm like, oh, I haven't even started. 
I haven't even started eating this goodness that God's trying to feed us through this right here. I'm telling you, this is so good. This is worth the price of admission to this morning. This was worth the price. This was worth you waking up for right here. It's worth you coming in the rain, worth you fighting to stay awake on this rainy day. How is it that when it rains outside, you can still like feel it inside? You know, you're like, listen up. This is so good. And it's right here in the book, right at the beginning. You are made to know God, not to know right and wrong. Did you know that we weren't even made to understand that there was a good or an evil? We were were made to know one thing, not two things. We were made to know God. See, he's like, there's this tree, and when you eat of it, you're going to know good and evil. Which is to say, you don't know that even good and evil is a thing right now. All you need to worry about is knowing me. I don't even get distracted by all this stuff. But God hates sin because it distracts you from Him. You're made to know God, not right and wrong. Which means, see, this is good. This news gets better and better. It means that being a Christian isn't about being more right and proving everybody else wrong. It means that being a Christian is about knowing God. How good does that sound? I, I just, I, I want you to write this down and I want you to get, your, get alone for at least 10 minutes this week with that, with that little phrase. I am made to know God, not to know right and wrong. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit start to show you how much of your day is consumed, consumed, weighing good and evil, weighing right and wrong, judging right and wrong, trying to be more right than wrong. And just let him start to set you free. See, God created you free. He created you free from, and then when you get saved, he saves you from the need to be right, know right, act right, think right, be the most right, prove everybody else wrong, live right, talk right, vote right, look right. Nope. Just walk with me. Walk with me. Sin is a trap. Sin is a trap, which is why you need to be set free. Sin distracts you with what you aren't. So you can't focus on who God is. Sin distracts you with what you aren't. So you can't focus on who God is. See, when God showed up to walk with them in the cool of the day, instead of running to him like they did every other day because he is so good, they run and they hide from him because they're afraid and they're ashamed because they weren't covered. Instead of being able to just focus on how good he was, they got consumed by who they weren't, what they weren't. And they hide among the trees. They hide among the trees. What's what's the significance of these trees? Why why did they go hide among the trees, I wonder? This might be a little bit trying to pull something that's not explicit in the text, so you can take it or leave it. But maybe, maybe Adam wasn't hiding because he was naked. See, he already had fig leaves for that part. He had fig leaves for that part. So why was he hiding among the trees? Maybe he was hiding among the trees... 
Because he was stuffing himself with all the good stuff to try to compensate for all of his bad stuff. See, you can eat from every tree in the garden. Just don't eat from this one. Tell me if you know what this feels like. So you're living in all the good stuff. And you think, you know what? I'm going to try this myself. And you take from all the bad fruit and you get, you realize you are naked and ashamed. So I don't want to put this on you if this isn't you. I'll just put it in first person. So I eat of the bad fruit. And what's usually the first thing I do? Run back to all the good stuff. No, see? No, I'm really good. See? Nope, 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 nope. I didn't do, no, I'm good. I'm just going to bury it. I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to fill the void that I wasn't feeling a few minutes ago. Now I'm going to stuff myself with all the good stuff to try to compensate for all my bad stuff. But that is a distraction. That is a distraction running to all the good fruit that I have to show. It's a distraction because listen, you don't need to make you better. You need Jesus to make you new. The life you're made for is found in being consumed by who God is, not trying to compensate for who you aren't. So what is, what is sin? What is sin? Many, many have undertaken to give a definition to sin. So add this to the list, maybe. I'm not saying this is the blanket one, you know. I found it. I found the definition. <laughs> what is sin? Sin Sin is living to build your own image instead of living to reflect God's. They were already made in the image of God. And what is the temptation? Why don't you, why don't you be like God yourself? Why don't you just take it upon yourself to be like God? Why don't you build your own image instead of just reflecting God's? See, a self-centered worldview doesn't see a problem with sin. Self-centered worldview sees no problem with that right there. Like, why call that sin? Why not call that just like being normal? A self-centered faith thinks that God should look past sin. But a biblically formed person takes responsibility for sin and is saved from sin by the grace of Jesus. So as you continue reading your Bible after this, we have been spending the last handful of weeks laying the foundation, going through Genesis 1 and 2 and now 3. Because here in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we get pretty much the arc for the biblical story and the story of human history and also the story of your life. And what you're going to see is this, these themes that we've been hitting on repeated and cycled over and over and over again. God creating an ideal scenario for humans to live and know him and be a part of reflecting his image on the earth. And humanity time and time again, choosing that instead of being content to pursue a life reflecting the image of God that they are made in, they're going to take things upon themselves and to build their own image. Oftentimes, as you read through the book of Genesis, the phrase that you'll see that sticks out over the next uh, about nine chapters or so is make a name for yourself. There's this fight in all of us to make a name. We need to have a name. We want to have a name. We want to build our image. We got to prove something. We got to stand for something. We got to, ah, we need a name. 
And God is saying, no, I've given you my name. Why isn't that enough? So it happens here in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God sets them up in a perfect scenario to reflect his image. And they choose to try to make themselves like God's. If you just go to the next chapter in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, Cain would rather sacrifice to God his own way than sacrifice to God God's way. And he expects that if he is going to do it his own way, that God will still receive him in favor all the same. See, I want to come before God in my own name. I don't want to come before God in his name. Genesis 6, we read a few weeks ago. The angels and humans, supposed to be unified to further the kingdom of God, decide to partner together in their own way to try to make their own kingdom. Genesis 11, the people decide to build their own, they try to rebuild Eden on their own. Eden, the the intersection of heaven and earth, the temple of God where humanity partners with God. They they decide they're going to rebuild Eden on their own and call it the Tower of Babel. What do they say? This is going to reach to the heavens. We're going to build for us an intersection. And it says, we will make ourselves great. We will make for ourselves a great name. And God says, that's not going to (laughs) work. I do want you to rebuild Eden, but it's not in your name, it's in mine. And he comes and he scatters them across the earth. After that, God calls one man, Abraham, out of the scattered, out of the chaos, out of the waters, you could say. God calls one man and makes a covenant to him. And out of a race of humanity who is living to make their own name great, God calls Abraham, covenants himself to him and says, I will make your name great. I will do it. And you will be a blessing. He says this in Genesis 12 verse 3. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm giving you my name. I'm giving you my name. But again, Abraham has failures. And yet God is still faithful. He's faithful even to Abraham's son, Isaac. God recommits the covenant to Isaac who has his own failures. And yet God is still faithful. And he comes to Isaac's son, Jacob. And God affirms the covenant with Jacob. I will give you my name. And Jacob has all of his failures. And yet God is faithful. And God comes to Jacob's son, Joseph, who has all of these failures. But God is faithful even in the midst of it. And that summarizes the book of Genesis. And then you get to Exodus and you have Moses who God comes and calls him and says, I'm giving you my name. Tell them I am sent you. And Moses has all of his failures. And yet God is faithful. And he comes to Joshua and he says, I will give you my name. And Joshua still has his failures. And we get judges and the kings and chronicles and the prophets and nations rise and fall trying to make a name for themselves when God all the while is saying, come to me and I will give you my name. And humanity falls again. And again, and God is faithful again and again. This is the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible. This is the big story of humanity, and it is the story of your life. You were made in an ideal situation to know God and carry his name. Every single one of us has chosen to turn away from that 
and try to make our own name great. We have tried to build our own image instead of being content imaging God. And as a result, God's three intended unions have been broken. And now we live in the fruit of this brokenness. Maybe you felt the tension over the last handful of weeks as we, talked about, as we have talked about the ideal of creation and we've been wondering, where did all that go? We now live in the brokenness of these three unions. We now live in the division of the heavens and the earth, the division of God and humanity, the division of humanity and humanity. And this is now where we find ourselves in the story. And as we continue next week into our series on, or into our section on brokenness, and we continue coming to the Bible to say, God, would you form us? We cannot move forward without understanding our sin. Our sin. Your sin. My sin. But from the beginning, we also can't miss that even in all the brokenness, there has always been hope. Because God always comes, coming, comes running. God always comes calling. And God always comes making a way back to him. I want you to stand as we close our time together this morning. I'm going to have our prayer team come up as we worship. One more song. If there's anything you need in your life, if you need prayer for anything in your life, you are at church. If you haven't noticed yet, it's a perfect place to get prayer. You may be here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you need to, or you've recognized this morning, maybe God's brought something up, maybe a specific sin in your life that you're realizing, yep, I've been holding on to that one. It's time to let that one go. Maybe there's been something that you're holding on to that you've never seen before that God's highlighting because he wants you to see even the little things because he's trying to lead you into the life of righteousness and purity and fullness that he created you for. And you need to repent maybe in your seat with the person who came to you. Maybe you need to come up and just have somebody pray with you. The Bible says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive everything. Because of the character of God, even from the beginning today, no matter what your sin is, you have the opportunity to walk in freedom. And you might be here this morning and you have never come to Jesus in your sin. You're realizing this morning, I've never tasted the forgiveness of Jesus. I've lived my life with the fig trees and the good fruit and all this sort of stuff. I I have sinned. And you are realizing that you have no hope outside of the grace of Jesus. The good news is, you can have the grace of Jesus. Every single one of us has lived this story and is living this story. You are made in the image of God to be in a relationship with Him. You have decided of your own free will to live for your own image and you have rebelled against him. You have separated yourself from him. There is nothing you can stuff yourself with, nothing you can overcome it with on your own. There is no hope in the trees or the fig leaves. But God knows that and he knows you and he sent his son, Jesus. And in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, we all have hope that all we have to do is come and surrender everything. And yes, again, just become vulnerable and naked before him and be received just as he made you. Be received, surrender your life. And Jesus promises, I will make you born again. The old will go away, the new creation will come and I will fill you with my Holy Spirit. 
and you will be a part of my family. You will be my child and you can be a part of my kingdom now in this life and in the next. That is the invitation to every single one of us. Maybe you've never made that decision before and you need to make that decision right now. Maybe you have made that decision before but it's been measured and you've been trying to do both. You're a little bit in and you're a little bit out. It's time, church, every single one of us, give your life. Give your life. There is no life outside of him. I'm gonna pray for us. I would encourage all of us to bow our heads. If you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus, you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I am coming to you right now and I'm giving you everything. Which really, I'm just giving you my sin because I can't do it anymore. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need mercy. I am surrendering my life to you. I wanna follow you and I wanna know you. Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? and teach me how to be your child. Lord, I'm asking for all of us in this room, Holy Spirit, in your grace and in your mercy, you would come with your holy conviction and lead us in life everlasting. You would come and search our hearts and that we would be a people who turn away from the sin of building our own lives and we would live in the freedom of reflecting the image of you, our creator. Lord, we're asking that we would be a holy people and a pure people, not by our own strength, but by your mercy. Come, God, and lead us into repentance. Lead us in confession. Lead us in holiness. Lead us in purity. God, I'm begging you now that you would wake us up from our slumber as individuals, as a church, as a culture, thinking that we can go step by step covering our own ways just with a little bit more hard work. No, Jesus, we need you. We are turning aside here and now to follow you. Come and move us forward towards you. In Jesus' name.